Welcome to Coach House Talks. Um, have a look at this um, painting, a famous painting. Anyone tell me who's painted that? Who said Monet then? Very good. We have some art students in the house. This is a, a famous painting. This is Monet's garden at Giverny. Uh, it's one of a series that he did that he's famous for. And we want to be looking at the Bible. Now you're thinking, why has he put a picture of Monet's painting up on the wall if we're going to be looking at the Bible? Well, I think we can view the Bible, a bit, it's a bit like appreciating a painting by Monet. At first, everything looks a bit blurry and not very well defined. But once you take a step back, you see how the blurry shapes fit together into something beautiful. I, what I did before when I had this on the wall is I just squinted my eyes a little bit and looked at it, and suddenly you see all the forms come together. You just see this beautiful garden. Um, and sometimes we need to take an overview of the Bible. We need to see what the Bible is trying to tell us from start to finish. You see, there's no substitute for reading all of the Bible. Okay? Now, I know that that's a big task, and I know that many of us kind of start Genesis, Exodus, and then stop. And then we discover the, the Gospels, and we jump to the Gospels, and we think, oh, okay, this is all about us now. We can fit in. But actually, there's no substitute for reading all of the Scripture, all of the Bibles. The more we have of the big picture, the more the Bible will make sense to us. Scripture illuminates Scripture. Okay, so when you're reading something in the Bible, you'll find that something you've re you read maybe in the Old Testament, illuminates something that you know in the New and vice versa. So with this in mind, we're going to attempt to show how the entire Bible fits together into one beautiful, cohesive narrative that has at its center a single desire and motivation, but has many strands to the story. It's been said that all we need is the Bible and we will discover the truth and have our lives changed. I disagree. Sorry. For those of you who do believe that that is just enough for you, I disagree. Scripture must be revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. Must be. If we desire, of, if we desire it to bring us to the correct conclusion. It has to be enlightened to us. It has to be shown to us. You see, I agree with the following sentiment. Whenever the Spirit is not present, no great explanation is possible. Right, let me just say that again. Whenever the Spirit is not present, no great explanation is possible. You see, I know lots of people who know lots of stories from this Bible and it's had no impact on their life whatsoever. Because they've just read it as a collection of stories. They've read it in isolation. They've failed to see God's love for you and for me in the pages of this amazing book. You see, we must stop and pray. And we must ask God to open scriptures to our hearts. The Bible is God's story. It's God's story of relationship with his chosen creation, us. Like any good story, it has in its narrative a hero. 
that hero we know is Jesus. We need to see that when Jesus, what Jesus claims in Revelation 22, that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the revelation is that the entire Bible scope is about him. Cover to cover, the Bible is centered on Jesus. Nobody else, Jesus. And we want you to see that. So let's just read Jesus' words from Revelation chapter 22. It says this, Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That's some of the final words in Scripture that are given to us. And Jesus claims of himself, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You see, it all begins, surprisingly, at the beginning. Genesis means beginnings. And Jesus is there. Jesus is there. Let us create man in our image, God says. Make them like us. See, God's not speaking and never speaks in isolation, but he speaks in relationship. God is a God of relationship. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit together were there right at the beginning, and they will be there right at the very end, and every point in between. When disobedience enters in, we, that is man, fall away from our relationship with God. We realize right at the beginning of the story, right at the beginning of Genesis, our need for a Savior, our need to be rescued, our need for Jesus. Without God, we are incomplete. Okay? We are incomplete when we take God out of our lives. When we've gone through Solomon, and Solomon's conclusion was just that, wasn't it? Without God, life is meaningless. My life, I'm incomplete without God in it. You see, the whole story of this book is one of redemption and restoration from that original creation to a point where everything comes together under God's headship. Redemption and judgment of a holy and a just God. Calling back to himself life and creation as it was intended. But with the additional bonus that sin and death have been defeated and there will be no more judgment. There will be no more pain. There will be no more wrath. There will be nothing of that in the new heaven and earth. We are heading towards an amazing conclusion if we've got Jesus in our lives. See, the entire narrative in this book is founded upon, rests upon, and concludes upon Jesus. He is the only focus of this entire book. Everything points to Jesus. From the fall, man looks forward to a savior. God's history and covenants with his creation show his desire to reconcile us, his creation, to himself. Giving every opportunity and providing repeated promises and examples of how this 
will play out. Did you know your Old Testament is just a run after run after run after run of what God wants to do for you in order to bring you back to himself? Throughout the Old Testament, we see God's people straining to look forward to a promised saviour. Whether that be in the historical books, the poetry books, or the books of the prophets, they all look forward to the promise of a great rescue and a great rescuer. In the Gospels, we are introduced to God's rescuer by name, Jesus, our saviour. And then it continues, the church in the New Testament contains the history of the Christians, those that have taken Jesus as their saviour and have turned back to God through his chosen vessel, his only begotten son, slain to cover our sin and rising from the grave and conquering death, restoring life and eternity to those who call on Jesus for forgiveness and mercy. The epistles carry the exaltations and the encouragements to keep the faith amid cultures which at their their very core are alien to submitting to Jesus. Like every good story, there's a great beginning and an amazing end. But it's the stuff in the middle that weaves the narrative to bring us to that conclusion. We are living today in the flow of this real-time story. We're in this. I mean, this is an amazing graphic. Thank you. Okay. I've got some very talented people in this church who, when I go, can you do this? They come up with these amazing things. So the need for Jesus is recognized throughout the Old Testament. We are looking forward to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. When Jesus comes again, he comes to us finally in the Gospels, the great rescuer that's been promised through the entirety of the Old Testament. Jesus comes as our rescuer. And then we teach in the church about this rescuer. We rely upon, we have faith in our rescuer. But there's something else at the end. Because it's not finished. We are living in between this time. We are waiting for the final promise. We're waiting for Jesus to come again. We're waiting for God to restore everything, as we heard last week, to restore everything back to how it should be. It's important that we see how the threads of what God is doing pull together, using and continually shaping to bring us to a promised end. The Bible narrative concludes with Jesus claiming creation to himself and also results, unfortunately, in the judgment of all those who have taken their own wisdom and concluded that God is not for them. Regrettably, there will be many who will face judgment and will reject Jesus. The Bible tells us that. So let's look at how the Bible reaches its conclusion, Revelation 22. So finishing off what we started to read before. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. And I love that. The tree of life, you've noticed it's there right at the very end. Right at the very end of the Bible, the tree of life is reintroduced back to you. And it's the tree of life right at the beginning, which you're denied access to. See how one story concludes with the same things, a tree at the beginning, tree at the end. Same tree at the beginning, 
Same tree at the end. And we're permitted to eat from that tree of life again. What does that tell you? It tells us we've got eternity back. But outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshippers, and all who love to live a lie. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we live a lie most of the time in this world. And I think we're getting more and more used to living lie day by day. We must stand strong in our hope and our faith that Scripture has revealed Jesus to us and Jesus is our only hope. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne and I am the bright morning star. It's all about Jesus. God shows his justice, holiness, and fairness in judgment and reconciliation going hand in hand. We choose one or the other. God provides for all, calls to all, has a plan for all, but the narrative tells us that not all will accept this calling and choose for themselves death and destruction away from God in a place that the Bible calls hell. The big picture that we're going to look at will attempt to show the thread of God's story throughout the entire narrative of the scripture that we hold in the Bible. Now, we're not going to go verse by verse through the entire book, but we are going to look at what the big thread is, what the big theme is, how Jesus is there right the way through, right to the end. It's all about Jesus, and that's where we need to focus. And it should be read with understanding, helped by the Holy Spirit, who will point us to Jesus in all things if we ask him to. The Bible starts with the tree of life and it ends with the tree of life. Perfect restoration in eternity brought about by Jesus. Now, I hope that you enjoy the ride and you're encouraged by the journey as we discover God's great plan for all of us. We start next week in Genesis And we'll follow the flow through the entire Bible, teaching and explaining God's big picture. And I ask you this. You should ask the question all the time. Where do I fit into this? Where do I fit into God's story? And then you will be amazed at God's providence for you, God's love for you, God's grace for you, God's mercy for you, as we submit to his plans for our lives. We are indeed a very privileged people. Now, let me illustrate how this gospel plays out and works out from beginning to end. So just forgive me for a second. Because it's easier with visual presentations. So Sam and Tom, you may have seen this. A white chair representing God and a black chair representing man. So here is the gospel. In the beginning... God created the world. And he created us, man. He created us to have a relationship with him. A loving, face-to-face relationship. And in order for this to be real, love necessitates choice. So God gave us the will to choose to obey him or not. Man chose to disobey. And he turns his back on God. 
choosing his own way. We sinned in Adam, we sinned in Eve, in Cain, and then generation after generation. And so God, who is pure, righteous, and must bring wrath, is too holy to look upon sin, and he turns his back upon mankind. He's too holy to look upon us. There's now a chasm, a divide between God and man, a divide that man, no matter how he tries, cannot get across. But God, who is a loving God and Father, sends his son, Jesus. And Jesus lives as a man, a pure man, a good man. He became one of us. He lived a perfect life. And he showed man that it was possible to live in perfect relationship with God. Jesus accepted upon himself all of our sin and he took it on his own shoulders. The wrath of God and died in order to pay the price of sin. Jesus rose from the dead and in doing so broke the power of death and allowed God to look upon man because his wrath had been vented. The gospel in chairs, as you may well have heard it, as you may well have even constructed it and seen it, and there was a few nods as we went through that presentation. So let's just go through it again. Let's just check out what we've seen. In the beginning, God created the world, and he created man to have a perfect relationship with him, a loving face-to-face relationship. In order for this to be real, love necessitates choice. So God gave us the will to choose to obey him and gave us real options to choose whether we want to stay in intimate relationship with him. But man chose to disobey. And he turns his back on God, choosing his own way. We sinned in Adam and Eve and Cain and then generation after generation. And so God, who is pure, righteous and must bring wrath, is too holy to look upon sin, did the unthinkable. He pursued us. He came looking for Adam in the garden. Where are you? He came looking for Cain after he'd murdered Abel. And he made promises over his life to protect him. And even then, we turned our back. But God came again and said, I will give you laws to guide you, directions towards holiness. But we said, I prefer a golden calf. But God came again, and I will send you prophets to teach you. And we said, no. So God said, I'll put you into captivity in the hope that you will grow thirsty for me. But we said no. God kept pursuing us. And because he loves us, he sent Jesus to die for us. A perfect man. God to live a perfect life as a perfect man. He welcomed sinners and showed us God's love. To a woman at the well, Jesus accepted her, even though she was a Samaritan. He reaches out to Zacchaeus, a tax collector, and dines with him. He also reached out to a woman caught in adultery. 
who was to be stoned for her crimes. But Jesus said, I do not condemn you. He protected her from accusers and without condemnation, go and sin no more, he said. But we don't know what to do with this kind of love. The religious leaders of the day didn't. Our religious systems are built on keeping people in their lack of submission and keeping them in fear. But Jesus accepted upon himself all of our sin, the wrath of God, and he died in our place. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to close the chasm. Jesus rose from the dead, and in doing so, broke the power of death, and he calls us back into a relationship with God, who has always been there for us. Did you notice the direction of this chair? Always pointing towards man, always pointing towards his creation. This is God's position towards his creation. Not his back to us. He pursues us. He gives us every chance to come to him. God promised, well, it doesn't even stop there, does it? That's even better. Because God says, not only am I going to just sit in relationship with you, but I'm going to live in you. I am going to be, it will go, there we go. I am going to live in you. It's not a broken relationship anymore. It's a relationship where God says, I have taken all the wrath. I've taken everything that you need to be paid. And I've taken it upon Jesus. And now I live in you. That's the big story. That's the gospel. Jesus said, it is finished. There's nothing else to do. Our sin is covered when we turn to Jesus. And Jesus lives in us so that God can look upon us and have relationship with us. And this is indeed good news. Did you see the two differences? One is actually the modern version. The first one is the modern reality that sometimes we hold. The second one is what the church would have believed 2,000 years ago. God pursues us. And I want you to understand that God pursues you. It doesn't matter how far you try and run. God's after you because he loves you and he wants to bring you back to himself. And that's why we're going to take communion. We're going to take some time to take communion today to understand just how loved we are and just what that love looked like when Jesus came and gave his life for us. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.